Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this afternoon's edition of Streams in the Desert. I'm delighted to welcome you all in today, and I'm even more delighted to welcome joining me today with Pastor Steve is our very, very dear friend, Pastor and Evangelist Pete Spackman. He's more endearingly, endearingly to us, he's our friend and a friend for very for many yeah. years to us, but to the Irish Church. Pete, we're so delighted to see you, brother. How you been? Good. I'm so delighted to hear from you, and especially the islands. I'm homesick. I mean, oh. <laughs> I'm really homesick, man. I miss it like crazy. I was there in uh, uh, 2019 in the summer fire, and that's the last time I've seen you guys. So it's just oh. it's hard. It's really difficult to be away. Often we think I could get on that boat and get on that plane and get on that boat and just go across and enjoy the Irish jet. I love the Irish jet. <laughs> Do you know what your, your love affair with Ireland? Your love affair with Ireland started many, many years ago. No, let's uh, not go into that. <laughs> From what I remember, I think you were 16 years old and you were on the run. Is that right, or were you oh, even young? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Steve. It was January 1961, and uh, I would have been 17 that year. Of course, yeah, January 1961. We'd stolen from uh, my local store, which I worked. They're supposed to take the money to the bank. And the bank in my back pocket. We ended up in London. And I got a boat train from London to Dublin. And I loved Dublin right away. I mean, just loved the Irish people right away. It was just a, it was a, it was like a great vacation, if you like. <laughs> a great adventure. <laughs> there were cops coming knocking on our door. Yeah, well, you're 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 from you're from Liverpool, so you're a scouser. Someone once said to me, "What you uh, what you call a scouser in a suit? The defendant." So in your case, that would have been right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you immediately assume guilty when you go up there. I remember in 1962, to the, my first time in the adult courts, I was with my father, and uh, I had the suit on. And it was a giveaway right away, you know, just giveaway. This guy's guilty, trying to prove his innocence by looking good. <laughs> a, a lot of people, a lot of people do know the background, but there's a lot of people that would be watching now and watching later on in the week that they would they would have known you from Summer Fire. Here, you preach once or twice uh -huh. there, but none of them know you the way we know you. We, we know the the, the, oh. the incredible journey that God has has brought you and has continued to bring you on. You're not a long way from the finish line yet, but. A lot of people don't realize that you did. I think, did you tell me maybe 10 to 13 years in total behind bars well, before you came well, to the Lord? You know, it was a long time, long stretches. Well, I, was, many I, was stretches. In and out. I was in and out for about 17 years. It doesn't total up to about 10 years, but I was in and out for about 17 years. Well, from, from then, just before I went to Ireland, I was in trouble with the cops then. And then, of course, I was stealing vehicles. Um, gosh, man, I don't really, <laughs> it's hard to remember all them bad times, <laughs> but they end up no. in good time. <laughs> yeah, see, see I, I, I have a theory, you know, I, I talk to people, they say, when you get to heaven, you'll have no memory, and, and God will wipe away all the memory. I, I don't believe that. I don't oh, believe I for one not. second. 
Well, the thing is, is that how could you ever thank him for what he saved you from if you can't remember what he saved you from? Do you understand? That's right. I mean, yeah. I, in, all, in all honesty, can imagine going to have I, I praise you, Jesus. I don't know what I'm thanking you for because I don't remember anything in earth. You know, I don't remember any of my sin. I must have been a sinner because you told me so. But I, I do believe that we can look back as Christians now and say that was a horrible past, but it has no hold in me now. And it's like looking at it. It's, it is looking like it is looking at a different man or a different woman if you happen to be a woman and you can so draw from that and say what a journey god has brought me on and i i think for me as a minister one of the one of the most tremendous testimonies i've ever and i and every time i sit with you i i get little other bits of stories that you just enamor me with and it's not about promoting you or promoting a sinful past it always brings me into a deeper appreciation of the power of grace and the power of the gospel and one of those stories i was telling steve before this uh, transmission I was saying, because we were saying, what questions would we ask you today? And I know you might have something in your heart to share, but there's something that I always love you to share about because it's so common. I remember when you told me how you got saved in prison, and I'll turn it over to you in a second, but you got wonderfully saved, and you can share that in a moment. But when you came out of prison, you started, you were so looking forward to meeting other Christians. And I remember you telling me this, you were so looking forward to being absolutely, part of the church. Absolutely. And then when you got into the church, you heard all these you, you these sort of gossipers tearing down the different people and the pastor and other people. And I remember you said to me, man, I was such a young Christian. It was like someone taking a knife and going like <coughs> cutting my throat. Yeah. They were, you know, and, 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 and the, the power of people's negative words to, to really affect what is a, a, a real sapling in the Lord. You were just young. Tell us a little bit about that transition from getting saved in prison, coming into the church, because I think it's so important for people to value the body of Christ now and to value one another and not tear one another down because you didn't have a church around you. You were on your own in the prison cell when God saved you. Could you just give us a little synopsis of that, Pete? Well, the sad thing is I didn't, when we, I was in prison, there was, a, it turned out there was about seven of us. Now, there was about 33 were saved in that short period of time, you know, when the gospel came to me. But then I fellowship with about seven guys, but four in particular, and we would share the word of God with each other. It was the most amazing relationship I've ever had in my life. The guy's mm -hmm. name, one of the head guys, was a guy called John Regan. And uh, John and I would, every day, it was just normal to us. I would go in and I'd have my Bible wide open and say, hey, John, look at this. And he'd come to my cell and do exactly the same. And our interaction with each other, we didn't realize how we were building each other up in the faith. It was just seemed to be a normal practice. It was like, it was uh, in the bars of Liverpool. I knew all the guys, and we knew each other. And we, inter we interacted with each other, and we tell it, you know, uh, how the, our days went. But this was a different kind of living. This was living outside of myself, and it's only when you look back and you think living outside of yourself, and it's the most incredible way of life. Uh, didn't realize we're just lifting up the name of the Lord all the time. Look at this, and look at that, and wow. eventually. Praying with each other, and I can tell you, brother Nick, and I can tell Ireland today, I never heard no negative whatsoever. It was all about what's this, and we had our understanding was very, we had no understanding at all, just that we were walking in the light and just that we were different uh, vehicles from the vehicles we were a couple of days mm. ago or a couple of weeks ago. It was an amazing experience that I just mm. thought it was calm. I never thought about it, but it was just, it didn't matter if I ever come out of prison. And that sounds crazy, but it didn't because I was free. It was, it was <laughs> a freedom that I didn't know was free. It was just so exciting, so wonderful. 
that, you know, uh, by the time I was coming home, I was crying. And bullies would come to me, guys that would mess with me, would come to me and say, keep on doing what you're doing. Don't understand, wow. but keep on doing what you're doing. Wow. And so I didn't want to leave, and that's the truth. It sounds crazy. I didn't want to leave because mm. we, we were having such an impact on their lives. I never thought of it as an impact, but such a relationship with the other inmates that were now coming to church. And church began in that place, and it's, from, to my knowledge, it's still going on. And just a year or two ago, I had a message from the uh, the new chaplain there when he's been there for 25 years, but he wasn't there when I was there. And he was telling me about how the work has continued to go and, uh, you know, being built up. So when I come out of prison, you know, I, I was so excited about going to church. It's all I wanted to do. And at the same time, Pastor Nick, I was scared. You know, I, I, I was scared because the, the norm was I've been in prison six times. And the norm was, as soon as you're out, going to the, the, the yard with the boys, you know, and uh, do our thing. And I was only home about 10 minutes, and of course, there's a knock on the door, and this is one of the things I feel. And it yeah. was a, a guy named Tony, and Tony knocked on He said, come on, let's go. And I looked at him like I, he was asking me the strangest question, and I said to him, I ain't going nowhere. He said, "What? what's wrong? And I said, nothing wrong, man, I'm saved. He said, oh, we heard that you're a Jehovah's Witness. He said, you know, through the grapevine. I said, no, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. And this is the first time the thing I was feared of, it was flowing easy from me. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just so natural. I said, I'm saved, man. I'm a Christian. And he said, so am I a Christian. And I said, no, man, I'm a real Christian. <laughs> I said to him, I said to him, Tony, look. I said, I said, you go to church and go robbing and stealing all that every other day of the week. I said, but man, I said, do you remember that time we, we'd, uh, we'd stolen the safe when we go past the Catholic church? You blessed yourself. We haven't even got the money out of <laughs> And so, you know, so that, you know, but it was so natural. I wasn't fighting with nobody. And yeah. it, I was, it was a real testimony to them that something had happened. And so yeah. on Sunday, that, say, I think that was a Tuesday. A Tuesday, but on Sunday, I'm going to church, man. I'm just going <laughs> to church. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going with my mom. And I'm telling you, I was honest with you, I was kind of scared, uh, you know, because I walked out with my mom Sunday morning, Oops. and I've got a huge Bible. Sorry, let me just put these plugs in. Good, man. You're You're on again. Sorry about that. I got this. No problem. I've got a huge, yeah. my, I've got a huge Bible in my under my arms, and I'm walking with my mom. And uh, I was terrified in case anybody see me with this Bible. I'm with my mom, my mom's little tiny lady, jumpy lady. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah. this is the first time I've ever gone anywhere with her since I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and so I yeah. gets on the yeah. bus. I gets on the bus. I'm telling you, man, to to go into town into the city. And as I got on the bus, you know, them long seaters, when you get on his upstairs and a long seat, I jumped on the bus and there's a guy. The last guy I was with in the whole world, his name was, uh, forget it, Jimmy Coleman. Jimmy Coleman was sitting there and he was he did a lot of television programs in them days and he sang. And the last time I'd seen Jimmy, I was in a strip club with him on a Sunday afternoon. And there he is and he said to me, 
where are you going? I'm going to church, man. I couldn't wait to go upstairs on the bus, but when I got into that church, eventually, when I got to the church, it was the Elam Church in Liverpool, Jubilee Drive, Liverpool. Wonderful. And the, the worship was awesome. I mean, just, you know, I can't remember singing, but goosebumps all over me just being in that church. And uh, it was an amazing experience. And I, I was thinking of everybody. Everybody should have this understanding of what the gospel is all about, what life really is. Jesus did come and bring his life, but it's a freedom. It's a liberty inside of your heart. You're no longer bound. You're free. It's hard to express. There's a liberty in it. It's like a, I don't care about anything. But I did care about everything, if you understand. So anyway, yeah, yeah. gets in church and the music is going. The preacher was amazing. I don't remember what he preached. But when he was preaching, I had my hands up in the air and I was just worshipping the Lord with him. It was just great wow. to be with the church. Yeah. But the next thing, a man prophesied. And of course, man, I didn't even know what it was, but boy, inside, I just felt, sensed that God was speaking because wow. I'd read about it and I heard about these things that men prophesy. And straight away, right from the persons that were with me, right to the back said, not of God. Oh, and of course, I was deeply perplexed, and I thought, "You idiot! Why didn't you know that? Why didn't you?" Know that? I was the first doubt I'd ever wow. had concerning my salvation. Wow! Because wow. I, I didn't understand why I didn't know that this guy was phony, but it wasn't like that. And so, oh. and and so, you, you don't understand. They said he's not of God. But that man had came in about several years earlier into the prison. And it witnessed to me. He was the only one that ever did. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> the, the family took us home in their car, didn't have to get the bus, they were bringing us home. And all they talked about for weeks and weeks was the weakness of the pastor. He should have known this, he should have known that. And oh, Nick, he'd already cut my throat. And yeah. every day I was being bled. It was awful experience. And I decided after three weeks, Remember this, I didn't have a job. I wasn't yeah. going to bars. I have no friends. I'm the loneliest man in the world, if you like. And uh, no friends. I could hear the music from the bars, the country music and all that stuff. But it wasn't even a temptation. I was just so lonely. And then one night, uh, a Saturday night, pouring down rain, one of the men that was with my mom, a friend of my mom's, came and said, I'm not going to ask you to go to church again if you go to this tent camp meeting tonight. And so I, I said, okay, but I, I didn't want to go. I just didn't want to go, but he made me the promise he wouldn't ask me again to go to church because I'd already said to my mom, I'm through. I'm not going to church no more. That's it. I said, are, are people going to talk? I said, we never talk like that in that, in that prison. I said, mom, well, we just we just care of each other. Love what a shame. Them, and built mm -hmm. each other up because we didn't know anything else. We didn't know anything else. That's what was inside of us. And so mm, I, went mm -hmm. that, I went that Saturday night. The rain was pouring down. I mean, it was pouring down. And they were singing, send down the rain, Lord, send down the rain. <laughs> send down the ladder. Well, <laughs> and you understand any, anything. 
Understand yeah. this. I walked into heaven, brother. Wonderful. I walked into heaven. If I Hallelujah. Had any doubts, if I had any doubts about anything, because I was thinking, I brainwashed myself. I was thinking, I'm lying there in the morning thinking, I've no job. <clears throat> I'm doing all the right things for the first time in my life. I'm looking for work. I'm doing all these things. And, and then I'm feeling so perplexed. But in that tent, it all went. And I suddenly realized, you know, I thought to myself, I went, you know, a guy named David Willows was the preacher. And after he preached, you know, when he was preaching, he got so full of the Holy Ghost, he began to speak in an unknown tongue. And of course, oh. I'm talking about excited yeah. inside. I couldn't in myself. It was a relief. It was a great relief. It seemed like all the pressure had been taken off. And uh, it was, <coughs> excuse me, it was a wonderful time. I went to the preacher. I, I, when he was preaching, I said, oh, God, I want to be like him. He's a fool. I want to be like that fool. Amen. Yeah. I want to be like him. And uh, I went up to the, the pastor of the church. I speaking. I didn't know he was the pastor at the time, but he's the one that was leading. Big, fat, bald-headed man dancing up and down, I mean, and I just said to him, man, I've loved this. Thank you so much. I said, what time you start tomorrow? We said, oh, we don't, we're not here tomorrow. This is our last night. And I said, no, man. And he said, yeah, but we're starting another one in two weeks in a place called Omsky. And I'll tell you, that two weeks couldn't go come fast enough. Wow. And that, was, wow. that was the beginning. And they were great people. Were, and that's where, of course, I met Angela, my wife. Uh, that's awesome. Wow. That's awesome, man. Wow. How, how many uh, how, how many years of ministry now, Peter? Are you? Oh, 1979. I started the ministry. Yeah. Well, the yeah. thing is, I didn't know I could. I, I was preach. I didn't know I was Sorry. called to preach. I didn't know any of those things. And mm. I was in Bible school in Scotland with the Camerons, and uh, they had a need, and I, you know, they wanted needed students in that school. And right after bath, I said. I'll bring some students in. <laughs> I didn't know how, but I started down the roads and started going to churches uh, in Wales. And of course, in Ireland, I was in Belfast at 1980, I believe it would have been. And uh, so I began to travel and preach. And little did I realize God was forging a pathway for me to be in ministry all my life. And uh, mm. amazing. Amazing. That, it was amazing. a brilliant start. And, amazing. And amazing. It'd be a brilliant finish. You know, the latter days would be better than the former days. And I just know that in my heart. You're not looking for better days. And the times yeah. are tough and <coughs> times are hard. And it's for all of us. But times are always good. To wake up in the morning and to lift up those hands and to say, Lord, I love you. And to hear that voice and I love you too. You know, Hallelujah. what gets better than that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, Pete, there's a, there's a, sorry, Steve, you you got a question? Yeah, I was, I, I was going to jump in, Pete. I, I know God has used you in, in so many different ways, and uh, Emma Emma has just put up a question. What advice would you give to a young Christian? And and one of the things that, that that can be hard as a young Christian is is trying to figure out what is God's will for my life and and how do I discern it? And would you would you talk about that for for a minute or two? And just how did you learn? to know God's voice. Did you make any any mistakes? You know, because we all make well, mistakes with that. So. Number, number one, Steve, you know, a baby very rarely asks his father where it's going. 
you know, very rarely, if I come out my mother's womb and it begins to grow, it's very rare as a baby that I, start to, I only start talking about my future when I'm 14, 15 and 16. What am I going to do then? So yeah. my advice is to them, stay in the word of God. Read the word of God. Just believe the word of God and, and let God lead and guide you. Steve, yeah. when I, I had no idea, I got a job as a window cleaner. You know, after I think it was, I come out in April and I got a job the 1st of September or the 2nd of September that same year. But little did I know that God closed every other door. And he opened one door that was in the city of Liverpool to a little, what I called a, a little rinky-dink uh, operation. But it was I didn't know it was the biggest cleaning company in Europe. And they, you know, God had been amazing to me. And God will be amazing to them young people too. Yeah. <clears throat> if they wait on the Lord and just read that book, enjoy the word of God. And, you know, you, a baby doesn't know it's growing. But it's older. And you've grown in the grace of God, but you've fed yourself with the word of God. And you understanding only comes as the days go by. It doesn't That's come good. overnight. Understanding comes you if you walk yeah. this walk and you, you recognize your own failures, but you recognize the grace of God even more so. Yeah. yeah. And you know that you suddenly come to a place where you know he'll keep you forevermore if you just trust him. That's the bottom line. But the word of God has to be your one. When I first got saved, I began to read the Bible. I read on my own bed, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And all I seen was Jesus. I didn't see oh, any kind of doctrine. I didn't see yeah, any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just well seen Jesus on every page. And so uh, my advice is to young people, just read the Word of God. And you're having a conversation with the living Savior. He's talking to you through that. He promised me he'd keep me. I read Matthew 6, 26, <laughs> is it where he says, take no thought for tomorrow. They're the very words I needed. Take no thought for tomorrow what you, tomorrow, eat, yeah. what you, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on, aren't you not more important than the sparrow that falls to the ground? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, just ecstasy, if you like. And uh, you just enjoy the life that Christ has created you for. Yeah. Stay in the word of God and grow. And so that's just the way it was. I cleaned windows in that company. I met Angela sometime around there, met Angie. And yeah. she would come and watch me clean them windows. She was uh, waiting to go to school, university. And little did I know that this company, what I thought was Rinky Dink, had offices all around the world, not just in Liverpool. And so when I decided I wanted to marry her, I put out a fleece. No, it's not complicated. I put out a police and said, God, if this is the girl for me, if I'm to get married, I'm going to tell her to get out of my life if it's not, or I'm just going to ask you to marry me. Well, I put out a police and I'll say, Lord, and I did. I said, God, if you've got a company in Edinburgh, if you've got a, if we've got another branch in Edinburgh, <clears throat> I'll take it. That's, and I applied for the job there. I didn't know how big they were. I went to the yeah. boss and I said, Hey, uh, Michael, what's his name? Cockney. I said, have we got a company in Edinburgh? And he said, we sure have. I said, do you think you can give me a start? <laughs> <laughs> Just as simple as that. You know, I said, do you think you'll let me go? And he fought to get me because I was making good money. I was there every morning. Just every single morning at five mm. o'clock. Within two months in that whole company, I didn't know how big it was. I was making more money than anybody. 
<laughs> because I was up in them skyscrapers, and all the young kids, the eight teenagers, they wanted to be with me. Um, just an attraction by the Spirit of the Living God. I worked hard, and of course, he wrote me a, when I got to Edinburgh to have the interview with the boss in Edinburgh. You were led by the Spirit of God. The yeah. sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. When yeah. I got to Edinburgh and I said to him, before I could open my mouth, he said, uh, I hear you're a Christian. And only the boss in Liverpool could have told him that. I said, yes, I am, sir. He said, well, good. He said, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, <laughs> His mother so was a Joel was witness, and he started me. He said, okay, when can you start? And I said, well, January, and of course... We're just led by God. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Of, co of course, a lot of a lot of people don't realize your 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 beloved Angie was studying in Edinburgh University, so that's the reason why the fleece was to go to Edinburgh. You just couldn't resist being next to her. Come on, well, Pete. it was the leading <laughs> of the spirit of the Lord. You don't have to. You know what? Yeah. Let me just tell you this. When I, you know, I've been in church a few weeks in Liverpool. And I went one night and it got me a blind date. You know, they thought a girl could keep me, you know. They were worried about oh. me going back with the friends, so they got me to blind date. I didn't even know what was going on. It was in the church, <laughs> and they introduced me to this girl. He introduced me to this girl, and I just had to say, I'm sorry. I'm not interested in girls at this moment. You know, I said, I'm just dealing with my own life. I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. And uh, I can't even remember what she looked like. But then weeks later, I met Angela. <laughs> Things <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. But yeah. what a life. We've been married 43 years this year. And, uh, oh, that's fantastic. fantastic. And we're best friends. We're best friends. You know, we yeah. are best. I know we that. I can't live isn't without it, Pete, isn't it amazing that even because there's some people watching this now, you, let, you, you lay it down, even the whole idea of a relationship, you lay it down and you give it to God. It's amazing how he resurrects that. And brings yeah. you something far superior than the, the plans of your own mind or your own heart oh, or somebody absolutely. else. Yeah. Yeah. A man, you know, often there's a man forges his own pathway. No, that's not the way it is. God forged yeah. the path for us. He knows Orders every step. step that we take. And to trust God and to just say to yourself, I can do nothing, but with Christ, I can do all things. And just let God rule your life. Let God take over your life. Yeah. And the impression he makes on the rest of this world, because they're bemused. They are bemused by the way you think and by the way you look. My family, mm -hmm. my sisters, my brothers were all bemused. He thought I was playing a game. You know, when I come out, they thought he'd be back in a couple of days. He'd be back to his old self. Yeah. But now yeah. they're all saying, amen. That's amazing. <laughs> I've, That's absolutely. One of my sisters give Angie a terrible time. One of my sisters yeah. give Angie a terrible time. She's an awesome Christian today. And she's yeah. wrote to Angie and said, I am so sorry for the way I treated you, you know. And uh, that's awesome. Hey, man. That's, your life that's is the awesome. best creature. Our life is the best yeah. creature. Yeah, you know, folks, as well, it, it, it moved on from, from the UK. Pete and Angie got married. They had two daughters at the time. And then the Lord, through a series of miracles, brought them to the United States. And cutting a long journey shorter, Pete got very much involved in prison ministries in the United States at that time. And uh, it, so uh, you know, for me, I know there's huge ministries. People talk about Chuck Colson and there's great ministries that do prison ministry. And I've read Chuck's book and stuff like that. But 
I have to be honest with you, Pete. Um, I, I've tracked your ministry for years in the prisons. I've read and listened firsthand accounts of men and women that have been reached from you evangelizing in there. And I, I think there's, there's very few that I know that have made such an impact in the lives of so many thousands of inmates in, in the in this prisons of America. And, and folks, and I mean thousands of people, what I'm talking about men that are, you know, double lifers on death row, uh, serial killers, you name it, some of the worst cons. And, and Pete, just share a little bit how the Lord just brought you into that prison ministry. And then from, from that, then how Angie got the vision to help the children that are born to incarcerated parents. You know, a lot of kids are born in prison and they've nowhere to, for these kids. And uh, because out of that came what is a Dunham house today. New convictions uh -huh. goes on preaching in the prisons, a Dunham's house, the children's home, which uh, again, folks, I've been there several times. It's just, it's just a phenomenal place. Uh, and yet it's just a humble man and woman with really nothing but the promise of God and the call of God in their life. No money behind them, no big names, nothing, nobody pumping anything other than the call of God. And now you look at these years later, the immense testimony that God has done and continue to do to your life. So just skip into prison ministry, Pete. Just tell us a little bit how you dipped the toe into that and how God opened that door for you. I was preaching in, uh, in Nottage, England. And just gone to preach. I was living in Scotland at this time, gone to preach in Norwich, England. Preaching invited me over to America. By that time, I, I, I'm not going to go into all the details, but I applied yeah, yeah. for a visa and I got one. And I'd been invited to be in the prisons, but it all fell through. But this preacher from Atlanta, Georgia, his name is Ron Poach, he asked me would I come over and preach for him. And he didn't mention prisons. He said, Would you come and preach for me in Atlanta? I've got some churches I'd like you to go. I said, Okay. And so I went over to uh, I went over to the states just on my own, and the um, very first night, it, it's just amazing. The very first night he took I, I can't tell you anymore till I tell you this. The week before in our church in, in Scotland, we had missionaries coming from the Philippines, and I knew them very well. They were friends of ours, mine and Angie, and they took up an offering. I had ten pounds. I had ten pounds. That's all I had. I had three children at the time. Nick. Oh, I, had 10 I, had, I had 10 pounds and I put that's all we had, nothing else. But if you think that's all you have, then that's all you have. I learned that real quick. I put that 10 pounds in the offering place. No. I put that 10 pounds in the offering place. And then I felt so bad that it was only 10 pounds for all the work they were doing. So I stripped the watch off my hands that Angie bought for me when we first got married and I put it in the offering place. Well, the next thing, you know, I'm on that plane, going to take too long to tell you the, all the details, but I, I'm on that plane to, to America, Atlanta, Atlanta, and Ron Poach is waiting for me. And when we got off, when we got out the airport, he said, before I go to my house, I want to take you to a friend of mine. I said, okay. So we, got, we stopped outside the jewelry shop. And the man in the jewelry shop said to me, hey, I've got a present for you. And give me the most beautiful watch. Uh, <laughs> when, uh, when, uh, when the man took home, he gave me a pocket watch, the reaper, the sower, and the reaper. Never forget that. And wow. that night, that night, now you remember this is the first time I've been in a prison since I've been a Christian. Mm. He took me to a federal prison. It was 600. They gave me the last 15 minutes of two hours. They gave me the last 15 minutes. There were 600 men in that federal prison. 400 came forward for salvation. 
Forty of them. Forty of them were baptized in the Holy Ghost. I never mentioned the Holy Ghost. But the altar call it was maximum security. It was pandemonium. The altar. I didn't even feel brother. And so I knew that night. I just knew that night. Although, you know, I was just on a visit to America. I knew that night. That's what God had called me to do. In England, in a prison in England, when I first got saved, I wanted everybody saved. I, that's what I wanted. I want, but I wasn't in a position. God drew me. God led me, and it was now almost ten years, and I'm in that prison, and I knew, without a shadow of doubt, that's where God had called me. Well, how does that go? How 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 am I going to make that happen? Another mm -hmm. man invited me six months later to come and stay in the United States with my family. And we came to the United States with $200, three kids, and four suitcases. Within three months, Brother Nick, I was in every prison in Alabama, 32 of them. I was walking the yard 10 hours every day, every day. And I loved it. Hmm. Trapped, bound, you talk about it, reckless murderers. Serial killers and I ain't, I let a serial killer to the Lord one day, and he's still my friend today, 25 wow. years later. That's you awesome. Know, he said, How can a man like that be saved? Just like you can, sister. Just like you can, brother. Born again yeah. with the spirit of the living God. He's not Hallelujah. willing to any perish. And Hallelujah. I've walked with the meanest kinds of men that you can imagine would give their lives to Jesus. And men, remember my girls. All them years ago, they remember my girls coming in and singing as a seven-year-old, a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They would sing on that platform with their dad inside mass uh, secure, top security prisons. They allowed me to bring my girls in and Angie, and we'd sing, and them guys loved them. And so the more we went in, the more they came. And I was preaching to packed houses every single night, but it wasn't a packed house. It wasn't that. It was the ministry. My ministry was on walking around that prison 10 hours every single day. And Pastor Nick, God allowed me to go in every prison. I didn't need a key. I didn't need to tell him I was coming. I could just come anytime I wanted. That it's sounds amazing. unbelievable. <laughs> and I would walk on them yards. I was in the shower one day in the security prison. I was in the shower. And one of the guards had gone to the warden and said, hey, that guy's in the shower with these guys. And he said, he's a man, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it began like that. And salvation yeah. came. And, uh, wow. and of course, I, 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 I was in, the, like I said, I was in every prison in, in Alabama, threatened, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, but I loved it. I'd get home 10 o'clock at night. And I'd tell Andy what went on that day. All the good things, of course. <laughs> and then uh, and my kids would love going to church every Wednesday night. We would go to the Shoney's because uh, we couldn't afford to do much. They had free meals for kids. So the kids, we just only pay about $10 for the two bills and we'd all five of us be fed. And we go yeah. straight into the prisons. We loved every minute of it. So wow. that's how she got involved. And then, of course, uh, I was in all those prisons. Thousands were getting saved. I mean, just revival coming. I didn't know what they called them revival. But every church, that, every prison that we were in, because it wasn't just me, others were coming in now, but but God used me mightily. It was on I remember one time, several years later, a chaplain in a in a prison who was just a volunteer at this particular time. 
it was my he used to come in every fifth wednesday every fifth wednesday and i'd do all the other wednesdays and so this night i forgot it was his turn so i'm there and i told all the boys i'd be there that night it was packed over 200 maybe 300 guys in that room he comes in to do his thing and he and he from the platform he said you guys just favor him over me i mean he shouldn't have said that but that's what he said and I, he said why why is there so many in here and i said because i'm with them all day long sir and i think it has an effect on them and of course it did you know he later become a chaplain mm. i didn't have a clue what i was doing there I, 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 brother Rick, Steve, <laughs> i didn't have a clue i mean so young people we're led better than we know. We're led better. Yeah. And, uh, Hallelujah. God will direct your paths. That's what it says. The steps of a righteous man are all about the Lord. And I'm only righteous through the grace of God. I'm the biggest failure in the world. But I'm a righteous yeah. of his righteousness. He saved me by his grace. And his, his desire was to live his life through me to them men in those prisons. He didn't choose the best looking guy. He didn't choose the most educated. He put his hand on me. And if he just told me, this is what you're going to do with it, run a thousand miles. But it just be yeah. And then, of course, then I got the invitation to go to Russia and um, put the school of Christ in the prisons in Russia. And of course, I loved Russia. I loved working in them prisons for years. I was in and out of them Russian prisons in Siberia. Uh, I mean, just, just, but. You know, one thing I can say for sure, Pastor Nick, this is incredible. I've never turned back from any prison ever in this world. South America, Peru, uh -huh. Colombia, not one door was shut, not one door. Every door was open to me. To, and it's unbelievable. He'll make a way where there is no way. He's not willing that any should perish. Hallelujah. And it's the fact yeah. of God. That's well, who it's he the is. heart of God. It's the heart it's of his God. Heart. Yeah. It's his it heart is. to walk them prisons. It it's his heart it to is. walk them And you're the vessel that he walks in. I'm the vessel yeah. that he... And that's hard to understand sometimes when I look in the mirror. He walks with me. He, he said in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'll dwell in you and walk in you. Come on now. Amen. For the truth, for the truth, it's amazing. Amen. So I preached in them Russian prisons. And at this particular time, you know, uh, I, was, I was gone from a family, you can imagine, a whole lot of time. But God was taking for them in every form of shape and way. God was raising my kids up and my, and my darling wife in an amazing way. But I remember Ruthie Ann was born, and that would be 1991, I guess, Pastor Nick, 91. Yes. She was born, and she was only a few days, maybe a week old, when we took it inside the women's prison, Tutwiler. And while we were there in Tutwiler Prison, Angie sang. Angie sang a song. But when she began to sing, she passed the baby to one of the women. There were 200 women in there. And Ruthie was passed to every single woman in that place. Oh. When we were coming out, Rachel said to me, Daddy, what are we going to do about... She was 11. What are we going to do about these babies, these mum's babies? Because that's what she's seen. Wow. She's seen these women weren't holding Ruth and they were oh. holding them. Wow. And we've been able since that time hold a lot of babies for these moms. You, you know, I, I went to Russia, and uh, when I went into Russia, Pastor Nick, I uh, was in this women's prison. And after the service was over, they took me into a ward where there was just 
babies. I can't remember how many, let's say 50, 60, there's probably more than that, up to about four to five years old. No teeth, no medicines, no never seen a candy bar in their lives, born in that prison. And boy, that, that got me. The next trip, you know, I'm just thinking things. The next trip to Russia, I took nothing but bags and bags of candy. I'm talking about hundred weights, bags of candy, suckers for these kids. And of course, the next time I went back to that prison, one of these women, a Russian woman come to me, a prisoner, and she said, thank you for that, sweeties, you brought my baby. And, you know, just little things like that. But I remember Angie gave me a call one time, and she said, Pete, I need to talk to you. You, you know, um, Howard has brought two babies to the house. They're both biracial. The grandfather, they live with the grandfather, and um, it's just not working. Can we take him? I said, wait till I come home. Just wait till I come home. When I got home, there's two little boys playing on the on the carpet. Jonathan and Jamie, five and three. And uh, he called me. The older one called me Uncle Pete, and I knew that Angie set that up. I just knew. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, hey Steve. <laughs> Yeah. I look, when he said that, Uncle Pete, I looked at him and I said, okay, let's do it. Let's start. <laughs> I mean, damn, how are we, gonna, we didn't have one cent, man. Yeah. We're going to build a children's home. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, you know, wow. I mean, if we'd have thought it out, we'd have never done it. You know, we just, yeah. after anything else, we have very few contacts. We have very few contacts. Mm. And since then, we've had hundreds of babies, as you know, being born in that prison. Yeah. They come to, you know, we managed to come to us and we raise them till the mum's ready to come out or they often stay with us. As you know, we've, uh, yeah. we've adopted 11 of those babies. But, you oh. know, we, we never thought about it at that time. We just said, how are we going to do this? And so we decided... We put a we had we're living on eight eight acres of land. We'll put a block down and we'll go a block at a time. We put a couple of blocks down, we got the land leveled and we got these blocks down. And it was gonna take us forever, but we didn't it didn't bother us. We were just gonna do it anyway. And so the next thing you know, I'm cutting the grass home from Russia and I'm cutting the grass and the lady pulls up a blonde haired lady and it would you know shorts on that were up to a <laughs> and elbows <laughs> and she, she she looked at me and she said I'm looking for Mr. Spackman or Mrs. Spackman and she had two little kids with her and I thought uh oh mm. I said Mrs. Spackman's in the house so she went to see Angie she <laughs> Angie came out five minutes later and said that lady's just given me five thousand dollars never seen her in my life uh, give me five thousand uh, dollars was the block but she said her wow. husband wants but she said her husband wants to talk to you never didn't have a clue never seen him got uh, Phoned his number and said, you want to talk to me? So he said, yeah. He said, what, what does it mean that I, I've come that he might have life? And I thought, what a question. <laughs> so I told him. He said, look, man, he said, I, I believe you're building a, a children's home out there. And uh, it was a racial, messed up place. Uh, you know, blacks weren't accepted in that area at that time. He said, you're never going to be able to build there. He said, you'll have trouble all your life. And I said, well, trouble him. I'm pretty good, and so but I've got eighteen acres. I've got eighteen acres of land to give you if you want it. Would you come and have a look at it? And I said to him, "He's got eighteen acres of land." So I went the next day with him, and then uh, he showed us the land. And I said, "Let me pray about it first. Uh, Ten days later, I called him back, and I said, "We'll take the land." 
that I feel like God wants us to do more than we can imagine and think. Yeah. And so, and so, but you know, one thing adds to another. What happened yeah. was it's all woods. You've seen our land, Nick. That's yeah, Nick. Yeah. It's all it's all woods yeah. and it there's about five thousand acres at the back of us, maybe more, I don't know. There's a lot of acres at the back and it's all woods. And it was like at the, ours was the beginning. We were on the road, ours was the beginning of that woods. And he said, oh, I want to give you 18 acres. And it's just trees. I mean, back-to-back trees, as you can see, is trees. Mm. And so how we do this, we call, we got a contractor, and we wanted to, first of all, build a road around up inside the place. And uh, he said $50,000 for the first 1,000 feet. That includes pulling all the trees down and flattening it. And we didn't have 50,000 cents. <laughs> I was telling the, I was telling them the prisoner, I was telling the prisoner, I was telling the prisoner the next day about what we were trying to do, and I told him about what he wanted, fifty thousand dollars, and he said, "Hey, have you asked the the, uh, the school next door? You know, uh, it was a part of the prison. I forget what they call it now, but they taught they taught these guys how to drive those heavy trucks and you know these machines. So I went and talked to them. Within two weeks, I had eighteen men, all these machines, putting the road. Prisoners did it. <laughs> That's had amazing. 18, Brilliant. I had 18 <laughs> prisoners for six weeks, cutting down the country. Unbelievable. That's awesome. That's I'm awesome. enjoying reminiscing, Nick, because these things. Uh, I'm, enjo- I'm enjoying it because I, I know a lot of these stories. There's one story that I tell everybody here, and I want people to hear from your own mouth because sometimes people don't believe it. I know you've always been quite a fitness guy all your life. You're kind of a boxer, <laughs> you're a boxer builder, you're the greyhound build. You never put on weight, but you love your soccer, you're super fit, you do push ups every day. And apparently, if I got this right, Pete, you were at a minister's convention somewhere, and they, you, you shared that yeah. you were trying to. Put a, put a new roadway into a Dunhamhouse or get it repaved or something. It was going to cost a lot of money. And, and, and someone, someone, somebody floated the idea that, well, why don't you get up in front of everyone and say you're going to do a sponsored push-up? Now, I think you're let 60 me, years old. You're, you're 60 let me correct. You take, yeah, I was, you, I was yeah, younger than, there. I was oh, yeah? younger okay. than 60, yeah, but, uh, you know, I was past 50, put it that way. <laughs> but okay, anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, I'd gone back to Scotland to Simon and the Camerons, and they had the. It was uh, what year was that? Anyway, I went back to the to the Camerons for their summer camp, and we, I was walking the yards with the pastor one day. I was great friends with him, and he said, "Brother Pete, we've got all these American evangelists come," and he said, "So every offering is is taken up, you know, their fares and their and their gifts." He said, "But we sadly need a tent." It was him talking. We sadly need a tent. What do you want a tent for? He said, well, our students need to go preach along these beaches and along these fields in, you know, Banff and the Aberdeenshire area. And I said, I said, what are you saying? He said, I've got to have an idea how to raise that money. And I, right out of the blue, I just said to him, why don't you do a sponsored push-up or something like that? And he always, when he's perplexed, he always did this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he goes, what do you mean? So with a sponsored push-up, you know, someone gets someone to do the push-ups and um, get the crowd to sponsor it, and you make some money on that way. So he said, who can I ask? I said, I'll do it. I said, I'll, I'll do it for you. So he looks at me, skinny. I'm, like he said, built like a greyhound. Not, a, yeah. not an ounce, of, more meat on a pencil. And so more, like looked, a whippet, more like, more like <laughs> a whippet. More like a whippet. <laughs> so he goes, so he said, well, then you'll do it. And I said, yes. So we announced that morning or that evening that we were going to do this sponsored push-up. 
insult. He asked all the crowd how many would be involved. Nearly everybody in that congregation decided how much they're going to give per push-up. And so that afternoon, we're going for lunch. The next afternoon, we're going for lunch. I'm doing this at 3 o'clock that afternoon. And everybody's going to be involved. All the students are. And so pastor's walking out of his house, and he sees me. He says, hey, Brother Pete. I said, what, pastor? And he goes, I'm going to give you a pound for every push-up. And I said, you don't want to do that, pastor. <laughs> 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 we used to call him Big Hearted Simon. He said, I'll give yeah, you yeah. a pound for every push-up. And I said, you don't want to do that, Pastor. And he goes, what are you saying? <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm not saying nothing, Pastor. I, don't, I didn't have a clue how many to do, but I knew he's, he's going to get pains if he gives me a pound of push-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he goes in that afternoon, and I said, this was the deal. And I'll work for an hour, non-stop just one hour, and I'll, you know, I'll do so many a minute. And so they, they're all there, and they said, okay. And so I decided to do 15 as a minute. You know, I'd get, set my pattern and do 15 a minute. So the hour, and towards the end, not, I, Nick, trust me, I didn't have a sweat on. I, I mean, not even a sweat. And I was mad at myself because I never did, you know, did more, you know, than 15. I just did the so towards the end I added a few more on, you know. So when the, we went that night into church, the, the youth leader that was Simon's pastor, Simon Sonny, asked them in front of everybody, we did how did the sponsored push-ups day? Oh, it was amazing, Dad. All telecongregation. So he gets up and said, he did 903. I mean, man. <laughs> 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 No, nobody could breathe. Because <laughs> I knew that there would be people in there that sponsored even uh, a pound, 10 pence. Uh, it was a lot of money. You think a 910 yeah. pence is a good bit of cash. Anyway, yeah. we ended up buying the tent, the, the <laughs> carpet, the generator, and the chairs. <laughs> But I, I said, you know, when I finished, uh, I said to those ladies, I said, look, just sponsor what you can afford. I, I said, I didn't know I was going to do that much, you know. <laughs> yes, you did. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but one, one, guy, one guy was so funny. Uh, him and I didn't get along too good, you know. And uh, he sponsored 50p a push-up. Stop more 500 pounds. <laughs> And that's when 500 pounds, okay? <laughs> but you know, out of them tents, that's where we started. Uh, you know, Andy Lovell, I know you know Andy, started those tent meetings and along the beaches and across the country. We're led by God. We're just led by the Spirit of the Lord. So, yeah. You know, uh, we did those tents and years later, man, I think we, we need some work done. I think we'll do some uh, push-ups, man. He goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I'll tell you, we needed the road built. We needed our road. It was really bad. Uh, you know, potholes and things like that after years of working. While I was in Russia, I met a friend, and his name was Roy Denton. I preached in his church several times. And he asked me to come into his church on Sunday. And it's a long way to South Carolina, South Carolina, North Carolina. And uh, I'm driving down our road leaving. And I called Angie and I said, hey, Angie. 
I'm going to ask this pastor to help us. I'm going to do some push-ups again. And she said, no, no, no. I said, this road needs building, baby. I said, I'm going to do it. Now, it's years past now. So when it gets to his church, he's a good friend. And I said, Pastor Roy, I said, so I told him, I said, I'm going to do it. He said, uh-uh. I forgot I told him this fucking room. <laughs> oh, you told him the story. You ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh-uh, uh-uh. But anyway, through that, through that Sunday morning, he got up. He me. I said, can I not mention this? He says, no, please. He said, leave that. I said, okay. <laughs> but the, the Lord anointed me and blessed the church. And he come to me. Uh, he, he mentioned to the church what I was doing. And he told him what I just told you. One guy, $5,000 right off the cuff. Yeah. And then, wow. you know, and we had that role paid. So That's amazing. it is amazing. an amazing journey. Oh, it's the, amazing. Supernatural journey. But the prosperity is in your heart. Yeah. You yeah. prosper in your heart. And you, you know, the more failures you have, the greater God is. Because everything, everything hasn't gone, always gone the way you want it to go. Yeah. Or it doesn't figure you've done things off your own path and you had no you should never have done it. I would not know about that piece, isn't that right, Stephen? Well doesn't <laughs> but doesn't but doesn't God illuminate himself in yeah, that yeah. I'm the God of mercy, I am the God of grace, I am your he is. he absolutely yeah. is. I'm amazing faithful. grace. Generation yeah. generation, I am faithful. And uh, how can how can I understand that? I can't. Like, I how can I understand the faithfulness of God? I can't. Um, yeah. I look in the mirror and I think, oh my goodness. And yes, he keeps on blessing. He keeps, you know, the greatest blessings we have. I told you about our kids. They won the state champion with Friday night. That's none awesome. Of the, none of, yeah, but it's not awesome. None of these kids came. They came to us straight. From the mother's womb, most of them, at least four of them. And we've raised them up in this gospel. And they're becoming men. And they're becoming, identifying each other. They're making friends everywhere through their skills and through their ability. They had nobody in the beginning. They were outcasts to society. Nothing. But by God's grace, we've been able to raise them up, you know, and teach them uh, the ways of life, the gospel. Teaching them how to uh, take care of themselves, to save the money, to work hard. We teach them things. Alec is one of my, well, of course, uh, Alec is one of my first boys. He's 20 now. You know Alec, don't you? Oh, I love Alec. <laughs> I do. Oh, man. Soccer player, basketball player, everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he got an opportunity to go to one of the colleges on a scholarship playing soccer, but he declined because he's, he, he, his education level wasn't where he wanted it to be. And he, just, he said, that I want to be a fireman. Within one year of being a fireman, he paid $18,000 cash that he'd saved up every every week for a truck. He doesn't know a soul, to, he doesn't know a dime to nobody, and he's now saving to buy a house. You know, Amazing. these are the, wow. these are the things. Oh, but many of our kids, you know, Adrian, 23, she's beautiful and married, and she came to us as a four-year-old and with three siblings, been with us ever since she's 23 now. She just, she got married recently, a year or two ago, and her husband just bought a house. They work hard. Amazing. And all our oh. kids that have that have grown, patience, all that you've sold into them, it'll come to pass. 
Hallelujah. You don't worry about the not what they should be now. Hey, God's faithful. Wait. Just wait upon the Lord and let's see what God Hallelujah. will do. They astound me. You've seen Bishop. He's 230 pounds of muscle. Big guy. I mean, he gets around his mom. He gets around Angie. She remembers when he'd come at two year old, terrified him and beat together. We're terrified, man. Both crying. Coming to strange people. You watch him every day and he comes home from school or from the game. He says to his mom, I'm so proud of you, mom. Do you know, Pete? Because we're, we're coming to a close. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I could sit and talk all afternoon with yeah. you. But my, my, my own mom and dad went to be part for a few months. They went over oh, to join yes, the Dunham did. House. And my dad's gone, he's got promoted to heaven. But I remember him, and my mom still talks about it. Has been one of the greatest times in their life just to see the work of God there, the children. And as you say, these children came from no opportunities. They were, I, I remember you telling me a story actually that you'd all go into either like Shoney's or a restaurant and you'd have all these biracial kids or African American kids hanging oh, out yeah. in, in, in Alabama where race is still a, a big. And they'd all be calling you, hey, dad, hey, mom. And these white guys would be looking odd. Who are you? Like these black kids all hanging out of you. And I, I just thought it was such an awesome picture of the, the love of God, how it just, just melts every heart and brings us into the pattern of Christ in every way. Yeah. Suffer not the children to come unto me, for theirs yeah. is the kingdom of heaven. And my mm -hmm. mom loved being with you. She She's online. I know she she's I, I, she's she put up a comic, remembers a Dunham house and the thinks States, of you and Angie like all the spiders. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, like me all the let me just bless her. She had a little yeah. girl that she took care of, a little black girl named Fredria that we adopted. That's right. Fredria That's right. is uh, 18 soon. She's coming up to 1830. A tremendous athlete. A, a lovely girl. I mean, a beautiful, She's beautiful. girl. She was, She's beautiful. She was a drug baby. She was a crack baby when she came. And love like your mom, your mom, your mom doted on her. Your mom just doted on her. And she uh, loved today she's 18, she but she, she tore her ACL up the other week and she was hoping to go to college and play soccer. She's very good. And I told you she had state records, 400 meter state champion at Christian and uh, with the Christian schools. Great athlete, but a lovely girl. Your mom loved her. Oh. She's, oh, she's daddy's girl. Your yeah. mom loved her. You've had mom she, she, with them. My, every time I go visit you, people, my mom is always asking me to check how she's doing, and you know. So the, the memories that the memories that my mom and dad take, and and maybe and my own experiences of being with you and Angie, among all your children, your daughters, your son-in-laws. There, I could just say before I leave you, what a massive um, impression and impact they have all made upon my life as in, in mm. friendship, in example of Christian living. Yourself and Angie continue that incredible testimony. And if anyone's watching this, I, I want them to check out a Dulham House at Watumka, Alabama, New Convictions Ministry, that feeds the ministry into the prisons. And just consider them for prayer, consider them for help. They have internship programs. They have a need there all the time to look for quality people to come in and help them because they have small babies that are born in prison. They're brought to Pete's, um, uh, brought to Dulham House. So they're, those babies have to be fed and changed and looked after and loved and they have a school and a high school now as well. So it's a massive opportunity for any young people that are looking to be part of a ministry for a while to go and work. And I put the word work. It is work. It's not sun, It's not a holiday camp. But it is great. If you do it with the right heart, you'll make social interaction. You'll make friends. And yes. you'll make incredible memories. 
And when you have your own family, you look back one day and say, I was part of something really, really wonderful, yeah. what God was doing there. So, Pete, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Angie, you too, I know you're watching probably online. We want to say how much we admire you, love you. Yeah. Can't wait to hug on your necks again and have you back here in Ireland, hopefully this year. But to everybody yeah. in the Dunham House, all of our friends, all the Spackman family, all the associated sons-in-laws that we love you. Uh, uh, Josh, uh, I want to say how much I miss you. And Justin, Philip, and Jason, we miss you very much, love you very much. And, and uh, God bless you, Pete. Thank you for being on streams in the desert today. Even for those of us here in Ireland, lockdown, can't go more than 5K, can't get into church, just to be able to hear your voice, see you, hear the stories. It has fed us. It has lifted our hearts today. And thank you, my dear friend. You continue to inspire the Irish people. God bless you. And God bless, bless you all you for too. watching today. Bless Ireland, Lord. Bless Ireland. Hallelujah. Thank you. Lord. Yes, Amen. Lord. Amen, Lord. Lord bless you, brother. Andy, good to meet you and hear you this morning. Boy, you put on some weight, Andy. Come on, man. <laughs> he did not. He's, <laughs> he's looking good, Andy. <laughs> he has to go to Specsavers. <laughs> Pete, don't be like that. Don't be like that. God bless you. We love you all. God bless you too, man. God bless, God bless you guys. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.